they do this by administering what's called the Dementor's Kiss, mm. which ain't the kind of thing you lay on your sweetie in the back of a parked car. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh boy. How that happens... Cool line. Is that... <laughs> thank you. Hello. Welcome to Guide to the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And today we are going to be talking about the horror of Harry Potter. So elements of the Harry Potter series that are actually pretty scary and horror movie-esque, horror novel-esque, and sweet. Yeah, if you've been listening to Guide to the Unknown in the past few weeks, you've probably picked up on a bunch of Harry Potter references. In these dire times, Kristen and I have been deliberately getting as fun and weird as possible, and we keep coming back to Harry Potter in the last few shows, so we decided, hey... Maybe it's time to do a full-on Harry Potter horror dissection. Right, because there's plenty there if you think about it. I was pleasantly surprised at how much material we had to draw from here. A thousand percent. We've covered Harry Potter a million times before. Yeah. Um, you may also be familiar, if you've kept up with Kristen and my work uh, over the course of years, we used to do another podcast called Book Club Schmook Club, where we would read and review and discuss books. So we covered all the books there. We even did a spinoff podcast that we called Pottermore, just as, uh, uh, you know, to have some reason to talk more Harry Potter. We covered the movies that time. So we haven't had a good excuse to get back into Harry Potter for a while, but Guide to the Unknown has never done a true Harry Potter horror dissection, now's the time. Finally. So before we get into it, we just want to mention that you can find us everywhere on social media at GTTUPod. You can join our Facebook group, The Guides of the Unknown Secret Society, by going to facebook.com slash groups slash GTTUPod, where you can talk with really awesome, like-minded people who post relevant, spooky, cool links pretty much every single day. You can also go to patreon.com slash GTTUPod, where we have, at this point, a ton of bonus material that you can get if you donate at the Netherworld Warrior level, which is $4 minimum per month. We put out a monthly bonus episode every month on the 15th. It can go straight to your podcast feed, so it's super easy. You don't have to even do anything extra once it's all set up. And we also have movie commentaries, random little videos, blog posts, cool photos, all kinds of stuff over there. So even if you're curious, go to patreon.com slash pod. And without even being a patron yet, you can scroll and you'll see the titles of posts and get the gist of what goes on over there and decide to join or not. It's a lot of fun. I'm also going to say that um, for people that are listening to us, perhaps recording live or as this episode drops, Kristen and I might be planning to drop a completely, you know, off the calendars fun thing this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe something that can uh, uh, help you keep in the horror mood. Uh, perhaps a little commentary on something. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so definitely keep your eyes peeled this weekend. It'll be like watching a movie with a friend, even though they can't be right next to you. Um, okay, let's get into it. Harry Potter time. Let's do it. We each have several topics that we're going to bring to the table. We are, we're sort of cherry picking elements throughout the books and movies to discuss. We each have a handful of our own. And we're going to share our top five spooky moments, mm -hmm. just like little favorite actual plot beats from the stories that we enjoy. That's right. And then I also have a secret surprise that William doesn't know about yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see what that could possibly be. I, I, I have no idea. Hmm. Um, I bet you are. Do you, how do you feel about me getting the party started? Go for it, by all means. Okay. I'm going to kick this all off by talking about a business in Harry Potter called Borgen and Burks. So in Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, that is book 
two, there is a moment where Harry Potter finds himself accidentally traveling to a, a, a horrific nightmare shop. Yes. He goes to basically a pawn shop uh, full of arcane relics, cursed objects. Um, and it's distinctly said in the books and movies that this is a place where kids should not go. Yeah. It is a dangerous place where dark wizards spend their galleons yeah. and nuts. <laughs> and they With go nuts and spend nuts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so uh, I looked into some of the backstory of this business and some of the stuff that they have inside. And it's pretty rad. So um, uh, first of all, First of all, I had this thought when I was taking my notes. Borgen and Burks is a shop that's full of like almost every single thing in there is like, oh, this object has killed this many people. Uh, this cabinet can make people disappear. It's stuff like that. And evil wizards will come into either shop or try to sell, sell their cursed artifacts to the people that run the store. How can we get a reality show like a Pawn Stars or a Comic Book Men about the people who run Borgen and Burks and all the evil wizards that come in to sell their stuff. I'll tell you, there was a reality show kind of like that called Oddities. Oh. It ran for a few seasons. I enjoyed the show and I ran into one of the, I don't know if you would call it hosts, but one of stars of Oddities at a restaurant in our town. Really? And accosted her. And she was like, oh, that's <laughs> she didn't expect to be recognized. Yeah. Wow. Why don't I know this? I don't know. It was like a few years ago. There's a place called Obscura. Actually, I don't think it's there anymore. There was a place called Obscura Antiques in New York. And that's what Oddities was based around. Okay. And they would sometimes have like celebrity guests come in to buy things or drop them off or whatever. And there was an episode with Amy Sedaris and Paul Danello. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. All right. Well, that sounds like something <laughs> yeah. that I need to look up. Yeah. But as awesome as that is, it's not quite the same as literally a show. It's not quite the same. Where wizards buy and sell stuff and mostly haggle. If you've ever seen Pawn Stores or Comic Book Men, it's mostly haggling that happens on those shows. The thing, I think the step one for that is wizards. Yeah. I guess you're right about that. Mm-hmm. So, um... Borgen and Burks is located at 13B Nocturne Alley in the Wizarding World. Nocturne Alley is just off uh, of Diagon Alley. Mm -hmm. It is the darkened street that Molly Weasley dare not let her children go to. Um, <laughs> when Harry first accidentally traveled to Borgen and Burks, he saw the evil Malfoy family come in to do business. He also saw a few other things in the shop, like the Hand of Glory. Um, he hid in a cabinet. He didn't close the door all the way. I will explain these things in a moment. Um, but it was our first sort of taste of this evil business. And they're sort of like the guy that runs the shop is kind of a sneaky, slimy kind of dude. Yeah. Um, evidently, Borgen and Burks was founded in 1863 by Caractacus Burke and Mr. Borgen. He does not have a name. He's just <laughs> Mr. Borgen. It's probably for some sort of like crime notorious thing. I think so. Caractacus Burke and Ernest Borgenine. <laughs> if only. They were smooth talkers and shady businessmen. They would uh, frequently cheat people out of their relics and then flip the same pieces for a fortune. Um, here's uh, some of the history of that. In 1926, a young, sad woman named Merope Gaunt, mm. poor, struggling to fend for herself and her young son, came into Borgen and Burks to sell a heavy golden locket, the locket of Salazar 
Slytherin. It is at this point that I would like to point out that uh, many of our followers have said that they have not read all of the Harry Potter books or movies. Yes. We're definitely going to be spoiling stuff. Uh, but also, I'm going to try not to get lost in the weeds and just say a bunch of things that sounds like, you know, mixed up, made up languages to people. Mm-hmm. So this woman comes in to sell a locket. Mr. Burke purchased the locket for a pittance, later selling it for an arm and a leg. Then in 1945, a very notable year in human and muggle uh, wizarding history, uh, Tom Marvolo Riddle, Lord Voldemort himself, began working at Borgen and Burke's. Um, this is from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, a passage. Voldemort was no mere assistant. Polite and handsome and clever, he was soon given particular jobs of the type that can only exist in a place like Borgen and Burke's, which specializes, as you know, Harry, in objects with unusual and powerful properties. Voldemort was sent to persuade people to part with their treasures for sale by the partners, and he was, by all accounts, unusually gifted at doing this. Mm -hmm. It is pretty heavily suggested that Lord Voldemort was cursing people yeah. And sort of cheating them literally out of their objects by attacking them and stealing. Ah, uh, do you think he was using, um, what was it? The Imperious Curse? No. Uh, oh, God. Oh, maybe a legitimacy? Perhaps. He was getting in their heads and then suggesting things that. Of course, Lord Voldemort was a skilled legilimens. Yeah. So here are some of the artifacts from the shop. Here's a biggie the Opal necklace harry potter sees this in the store it's literally a necklace uh but on uh, nearby it is a plaque that says do not touch cursed has claimed the lives of 19 muggle owners to date muggle owners are humans mm -hmm. like you and me non-magic folk well like you well don't pretend you're not a muggle <laughs> i won't have that all right draco malfoy purchased the necklace in an attempt to murder albus dumbledore uh and he he accidentally cursed uh, one of Harry Potter's classmates, Katie Bell, in the process. The package containing this cursed necklace ripped, and just a small part of it touched Katie Bell's hand. She flies up off the ground unnaturally with her arms outstretched, screaming a nearly silent scream. Yeah. She barely survived, and it would take her six months to recover at St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. Right. Big deal. Big deal. Huge in their world. Another uh, artifact from uh, Borgen and Burks is the Vanishing Cabinet, which Harry hid in in Chamber of Secrets, but didn't close the door all the way. If he had, mm -hmm. there's a very good chance he would have been transported right. to the twin of that Vanishing Cabinet. Mm -hmm. The Vanishing Cabinet is a, a really wacky kind of fun thing they come in pairs yeah so if i go into one vanishing cabinet i will appear out of the other and in the first wizarding war uh which happened in uh it's basically the equivalent of world war ii um it happened in like the 40s i think literally the fantastic beast spin-off franchise mm -hmm. is meant to sort of suggest that johnny depp is the hitler yes of the wizarding world and literally everything he's doing is happening at the same time as hitler yes um but so during that time period, if Lord Voldemort's followers, the Death Eaters, would visit people's houses, a lot of people would climb into their vanishing cabinet to hide to keep themselves safe until the Death Eaters passed by. It's also a little bit like, I don't know if anybody else went to Fantastic Sam's for haircuts when they were kids, but you would get your haircut, they would put it in this little cabinet, close the door, do like a little magic, and then open it, and you have a prize. 
What? Does this ring a bell to anybody? It was a thing. I loved it. Certainly does not ring a bell to me. I loved it. It was so exciting. <laughs> I do not understand I wonder this. where its twin was. Yeah. Um, here's the big gun in Borgen and Burks. An object which Harry Potter sees in book two and later comes back, the Hand of Glory. Mm-hmm. Now, this has sort of Harry Potter lore and real life lore behind it. In the Harry Potter books and films, the Hand of Glory, literally a sort of mummified human hand, um, just kind of looks like a creepy old thing. Mm -hmm. In my head, when I read the books and saw the movie, I sort of equated it to the monkey's paw, Mm -hmm. that that other mummified hand that will grant you wishes, though the wishes are, you know, twisted and sort of like more of like a a, a cursed form of wish fulfillment. Um, But I'm wrong. It, it has nothing to do with that. It's a totally different kind of mummified hand artifact. In Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy buys it, and the magical property the Hand of Glory has is that it will grant light to only the holder. So theoretically, I could turn off all the lights. Mm-hmm. We can't see anything. It's pitch black. But if I hold the Hand of Glory, I can see perfectly in the dark. You can't. Okay. Only the holder. Huh, that's cool. So here's the thing. The Hand of Glory... Is not just a Harry Potter thing at all. It is a real thing. Well, I mean, yeah. It is, you know, a it's a quote unquote real thing. Folklore about it lives outside of Harry Potter. Exactly. From Wikipedia, they describe it as a dried and pickled hand of a male person who has been hanged, often specified as being the left. Left is lat uh, uh yeah. The Latin meaning of the word left is sinister. Mm -hmm. So you, Kristen, left-handed, you're sinister. I know. I'm a sinister baby. So it's the left hand of this hanged person. And if the man was hanged for murder, it's going to be the hand that, quote, did the deed. Oh. Old European beliefs say that the hand gains magical abilities when coupled with a candle made from the fat of the same criminal. Wow. So I commit a murder. You hang me, you chop off my hand, and you make, boy, a lot of candles out of my fat. (laughs) Just a warehouse. We'll be fine. Um, But then the hand is almost acting like a candle holder. Yeah. And the the man fat candle is meant to be resting in the palm. Sick. Of the hand, of the mummified hand. Cool. Um, uh, So they say that if you light the man fat candle on the dead hand, it will freeze anyone who sees it in their tracks. Some say that you should even use the hair of the dead man as a wick. Uh, And there are also folkloric references to the hand giving light to only the holder. So that is sort of where the Harry Potter interpretation comes from. Yeah. Um, It's pretty crazy. I wonder if, like... Did J.K. Rowling have a team of researchers figuring this stuff out? Or I wonder if she just like right. is a nerd and was into that kind of stuff because it's crazy how much actual folklore is woven into a lot of Harry Potter. It's pretty incredible. Honestly, like J.K. Rowling, especially these days, has a reputation for saying things that are uh, controversial, to say the least. Crappy. Yep. But not that this um, exonerates all of that, her research into her work is really wild. Yeah. Um, I'll even be referencing some things in a little bit that's just like, I I did not know that this existed, like cultural beliefs that she has then sort of like woven into 
Harry Potter in ways that are really organic and mm-hmm. very clever. Um, I wonder if it is her own sort of research, if she does have people that will also farm data and give it to her that she can spin. Um, right. I don't I don't really know, but it's 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 pretty incredible. It's really interesting. I mean, I'm sure at the very least there weren't people who were helping her with it when she wrote the original books. But then maybe as time went on, she had a lot more money and more research resources when they got super popular. And maybe she could be like, I would if there are any cool folkloric stories, legends or whatever that you think I could weave into the world let me know and then found a way to make them her own. Yeah. I don't know. Or seriously, she just could be super into this stuff and knew it or researched it on her own. It's just, it's so crazy how much is drawn from real tales that I'd never heard of before. It's true. It's also interesting when you consider the fact that like, so I'm talking largely about Borgen and Burks, the place that houses uh, a lot of these evil artifacts, which was first seen in the second book. And then is not seen again until the sixth book. Oh, wow. So did she plant all this stuff early because she knew she wanted to bring it back? Did she get to the sixth book, know a lot more about stuff and go like, oh, hey, I said there was a mummified hand in book two. Excellent. Perfect. I can use that. Exactly. Like what aspects. Who knows? Like how did it happen? I can see it happening either way. Right. Totally. They could be planted early with full knowledge of what they mean. Or she could just be like, oh, my God, it's all coming together. Right. I don't know. Um. So there are also some interpretations of the Hand of Glory that suggest that it is capable of unlocking any door that it comes across. Man, this hand is very useful. I know. It's, it's a handy like hand. Swiss army hand. Yeah. Um, the manner of making a Hand of Glory is described in an 18th century grimoire called Petit Albert. <laughs> okay. Mm, Petit Albert. As well as a 17th century witch hunting manual called the... Compendium Maleficarum. Mm-hmm. And you butter believe that I have added these things to our internal list of stuff to look at on future Guide to the Unknowns. I've definitely looked at some of the Compendium Maleficarum online. Wow. There are some pages archived and stuff. That's awesome. So mm. here, according to the Petite Albert, is how it's done. Take note, everybody. This is the recipe, okay? <laughs> For a Petite Albert. You take the right or left hand of a felon who is hanged from a gibbet, which is essentially a gallows, beside a highway. Wrap it in part of a funeral pall and so wrapped, squeeze it well. Then put it in an earthenware vessel with zimmet, nitra, salt, and long peppers, the whole well powdered. You're going to basically pickle this thing. Mm. Leave it in this vessel for a fortnight. Then take it out and expose it to full sunlight during the dog days, the hottest days of summer, until it becomes quite dry. If the sun is not strong enough, put it in an oven with fern and vervain. Next, make a kind of candle from the fat of a gibbeted felon, virgin wax, sesame, and pony. Oh, how nice. Now, pony, there's an interpretation online, pony might be horse dung. Oh, okay. Anyway, use the hand of glory as a candlestick to hold this candle when lighted, and then those in every place into which you go with this baneful instrument shall remain motionless. This is a disgusting candle. I feel like you feel the price. I mean, you pay the price for getting to have these powers because you're like, if pony is crap and it's a candle that's made of human fat and hair, like this candle smells awful. If it's not pony, it's crap. It's crap. So you can carry it everywhere and have it light your way when nobody else can see it and or make you invisible, but you're going to have 
like you're holding a stinky candle yeah. the whole time. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yes. You definitely, yeah. nobody wants to come near you anyway. Right. Maybe they're frozen because you're so gross and alarming. You're holding a dead man's hand. Yeah, totally. What's it's wrong just, with it's you? It's just fear. It's not a spell. They're just freaked out by you. Yeah. It's just crazy. The Petite Albert also provides a way to shield a house from the effects of the Hand of Glory. Spraying Lysol. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wash your hand. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you wash your hand. Um, so the hand of glory would become ineffective and thieves would not be able to utilize it if you were to rub the threshold or other parts of the house by which they may enter with an unguent composed of the gall of a black cat, the fat of a white hen, and the blood of the screech owl. This is a mess. Which, great news, because I've been doing that anyway. So oh, perfect. I should be safe. You're set. Um, an actual Hand of Glory is kept at the Whitby Museum in North Yorkshire, England. Wow. Together with a text published in a book from 1823. Um, they say uh, 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 their instructions are as follows. It's a little bit different. It's interesting. It must be cut from the body of a criminal on the gibbet. Again, a gallows. Pickled in salt and the urine of man, woman, dog, horse, and mare. Smoked with herbs and hay for a month, hung on an oak tree for three nights running, then laid at a crossroads, then hung on a church door for one night while the maker keeps watch on the porch. So if you got all this way, but you didn't keep watch on the porch, would it be over? Yeah, I guess so. And if it be that no fear hath driven you forth from the porch, then the hand be true one and it be yours. Ooh, mm. I would love it to be mine. Uh, uh, the Hand of Glory was proposed as one of the motives for a murder that occurred in wartime England sometime in the in mid to late 1941. Uh, nearby, scrawled in graffiti, was the phrase, who put Bella in the witch elm? Oh. You familiar with this? Yes, yes. Uh, and that phrase, who put Bella in the witch elm, referred to the woman's corpse, which was found in a tree. Yes, that's right. To which I have right here under my notes, see you real soon who put Bella in the witch elm because I've heard of that before, but only in passing, added it to the guide to the unknown list. What is that about? Yeah, I know that that phrase is super familiar, but like I couldn't tell you anything else about it right now. So we'll definitely have to look into that further. Yeah. Um, we're about to move on from Borgen and Burks, but I have a weird tangent because one of the Harry Potter wikis, which I got this from, I got uh, most of my info here is from harrypotter.fandom.com. Uh, they refer to, in a way that implies that this character is well known, they were referred to the Whispering Wizard. I don't know who that is. This to me almost sounded like a serial killer name, so yeah. I immediately clicked on it. There's almost nothing about this person. Evidently, in the Half-Blood Prince film, that is the sixth movie, mm -hmm. there is a character in Nocturne Alley, again, this like dark arts, dark wizard alley, who is face like right up against a brick wall. Yes. Whispering, just mumbling and talking to themselves and whispering at the wall. Yes, I remember that. So they have their own Harry Potter wiki entry uh, where they're described this way. He was seen whispering into a hole in the wall in Nocturne Alley. It is unknown whether the wizard was out of his mind or if that hole in the wall had some magical capability that made talking into it reasonable such as it acting as a sort of magical intercom or the wall itself being enchanted to be sentient. Hmm. Now, this all feels like a huge reach. However, I love the name The Whispering Wizard. It's a good name. It's a great There's name. There's no getting around it. Just like no, there's no getting around that wall, whispering or no. 
Totally. Whispering Wizard's a good name. Totally, totally. Um, okay. None of my other topics um, have that sort of like real life intrigue, um, but each of them have their own sort of like, you don't think of Harry Potter as a horror franchise. However, mm-hmm. it's about witches and wizards, and there are a lot of elements of like bizarre, dark, creative storytelling yes. um, that happens throughout. So um, this next one I'm going to talk to you about comes from one of the more recent spinoffs of Harry Potter, which is the Fantastic Beasts movies. So far, there are only two movies. Um, They're very sort of like mixed reviews from what I have seen of people. Um, But this is one of the coolest ideas that they introduce into the franchise. There is a thing called an Obscurus. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Uh, It is basically... Uh, again, from this Harry Potter wiki, they describe it as the manifestation of repression, a dark parasitic force. Basically, if a kid uh, tries to bury their own magical abilities, it has to be a wizard, a witch, or a wizard kid. If they try to suppress their magical ability, uh, and sometimes this happens through physical or mental abuse, um, basically, we see in the movie a kid uh, who is basically like, literally beaten into hiding who he really is it creates this inner uh uh parasite this like black energy and it can burst out of this person Mm -hmm. in times of anger or stress very 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 much like the hulk it's basically the equivalent of hulking out yeah you're right it is like hulking out I just straight up thought of it as a metaphor for like suppressing your feelings and stuff and having them explode out later which is also the hulk i mean it definitely is yeah yeah um but like it bursts out of them in the form of essentially a giant black cloud like the black smoke monster from Mm -hmm. lost essentially it's really cool looking the movie if you guys haven't seen that movie um it's okay it's not great i wouldn't say like go do it right um but that obscurest thing looks really neat it's like smoke that has kind of form and points to it it's it's really cool it is cool i i like it a lot even the way that it is shot in that film is very much like the evil dead um it's a Mm -hmm. very sam raimi sort of like we're rushing through the scenery behind this cloud of black smoke um, it definitely feels like the evil in the woods from Evil Dead. So much so that I think that they it's genuine inspiration from Evil Dead in Fantastic Beasts. I think definitely. Now that you mentioned that very, very fast, just letting everybody know because I didn't know this, that new service Quibi that's coming out, I think on April 6th, there is going to be a show from Sam Raimi on there. It's what? an app where all the shows are 10 minutes or less. And I can't remember the name of the show, the title of the show, but it is... Uh, like scary things in all 50 states directed by Sam Raimi. I love that. I know. So that's, it's neither here nor there, but I got the email about it today because I signed up for info about Quibi and I just want to make sure everybody knows that sounds awesome to me. So maybe Um, it is here and there. (laughs) That's true. And Quibi is, is not sponsored by Quibi. You can get 90 days free um, from Quibi. So maybe check it out. All right. Right. Yeah. So um, an obscurus, um, is sort of built inside of a child. The child is then known as a, as an obscurial. Mm-hmm. So this kid is an obscurial, and there's an obscurus inside him that can burst forth. Here's the thing about the obscurus. If it bursts forth, it might literally explode the room. Yeah. It could level a building. It'll kill the kid as well. Um, most of these kids die by their 10th birthdays. Um, uh, the power of an Obscurus is tied to the power of the witch or wizard that it is inside of. Mm -hmm. So if you've got an abnormally powerful kid, 
you've got a really explosive obscurus that's that could pop out of them um so one of the things that really makes the fantastic beasts uh characters sort of special uh the character that has an obscurus inside them is played by ezra miller Mm -hmm. uh his name is credence barebone and he is basically the oldest obscurial ever he did not die by the time that he was 10 he might be overpowerful um, and he becomes sort of the central figure of at least the two movies to date. Um, a lot of the fighting is centered on his character. Yeah. Um, he's bubbling over with rage. He was adopted by a woman that, uh, heads up an organization known as the second Salemers, mm-hmm. which is a terrific title. I know. Whatever you think of the fantastic beasts movies, I feel like there are fantastic elements within them. Yeah. There are things on paper that rule. Yeah. The second Salemers as a group that hates witches and wizards and wants to stamp them out. And most people view them as crackpots for believing in witches and wizards at all. Fantastic. Kind of perfect. I know. I love it. Yeah. So um, the an interesting thing about the Obscurus is that um, J.K. Rowling, after she finished the, the seven Harry Potter novels, started writing more books that were intended to be as if they were um, textbooks Harry Potter and his classmates might have. One of them was called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. That book within the fictional universe of Harry Potter was published by obscurus books okay and that book is written by newt scamander Mm -hmm. who is the protagonist then of the later movies so it feels almost like what we were saying before like she came up with a fake publishing company did she know that she wanted to make the obscurus something right or did she need something for the movie and then go well hey I i came up with a cool word when I was writing that fake textbook, why don't I expand on that? Who knows? Chicken or the egg? Yeah, and maybe somebody will notice and it'll be kind of fun. They notice that there's a tie-in. It's it's fantastic. Um, okay, moving on. There is a snake. A lot of people might know this from the uh, like iconography of the Harry Potter franchise. Lord Voldemort has a pet snake named Nagini. It's a gigantic uh, uh, snake. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything about snakes. I don't know how to tell you what kind of snake she is. Um, and you see her throughout a bunch of the Harry Potter novels. I think she first shows up in the fourth book, mm-hmm. uh, where a character named Wormtail is told to milk her. Ugh, so gross. Lord Voldemort getting that good milk? Yeah. Snake milk? I think it's supposed to be venom. I would say it's just milking venom, I think, but you know. But it's snake milk. Could, could still live without it. I wish it wasn't the word milk. I know. You know, I've been, Allie and I have been getting on the oat milk train. <laughs> you know, I've been milking <laughs> something you know, weird I've been milking snakes yeah. for a while yeah. for my morning coffee i've been doing oat milk or almond milk in my cereal i might try to weave some snake milk into the stuff that i'm doing something to think about you know why not right now is a time to try new things and really dig into your self-care and find out what works for you exactly got to get that good snake milk mm-hmm. so here's the thing nagini all of a sudden appeared in the most recent movie as a human lady right so in, and this was pretty controversial as well. So in the most recent movie, which is called Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. This movie sucked. Well, I only saw it the once. When I saw it the once, I thought it really sucked. I know. I know. They have a, there's a <laughs> wizard circus. Yeah. And they have a freak show. And one of the quote unquote freaks is this woman, Nagini. Um, the owner of the circus is named Skender. Okay. Which is very close to Newt Scamander. Yes. Except much worse. So much so that it feels like they wrote it and they were like, 
well, I'll come back and change this later and then forgot to. Right. Or somebody <laughs> mushmouthed saying an actual other name and they just wrote, wrote yeah. it down. Skender. Skender. Skr- moving on. Um, so he says that he found Nagini, the female woman Nagini, in the jungles of Indonesia. She is able to transform into a snake at will. But here's the thing. It's not because, because we've seen this in Harry Potter before where people can turn into animals. Those people are known as animagus mm-hmm. and they have learned this ability. She's able to do it because of a blood curse, um, which means that she is a maledictus. Nagini, the human lady, is a maledictus, a person who can transform into an animal, but eventually the change will be permanent. She is. Mm-hmm. an anamorph. Yes, she's an anamorph. I mentioned anamorphs recently. There was a risk in anamorphs that you might become a cockroach forever. Nagini became a snake forever. Mm-hmm. According to J.K. Rowling's Twitter, maledictuses are always women. The maledictus carries a blood curse from birth, which is passed down from the mother to the daughter. Mm-hmm. Ain't that just the way. Leading me to ask questions I don't want to ask. Does... Did a snake give birth to a human baby? Hard to say. Without more information. Hard to say. What Could that happen? Would that happen? I don't know. Yes. It opens some doors I don't want to mm-hmm. open. That milking thing feels a lot different now. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. I, you know, we spent, we spent like 20 years thinking of Nagini as just a big snake that Lord Voldemort wore like a, <laughs> like a boa. Yeah. Um, and now we have to think about the fact that that's actually a human lady trapped in the body of a snake. Right. So like when Nagini ate people. It was a human lady. What, what was she thinking in there? I don't know. Yum, yum, <laughs> eat them up. I mean, I guess at that point she liked it. I guess so. Um, so, uh, they could become a maledictus could become something other than a snake for the record. It's just that Nagini happens to be turning into a snake. Um, yeah. uh, mal is a prefix of Latin meaning bad, wrongful, or ill. Dictus in Latin means spoken. So roughly translated, maledictus might mean spoken ill of or cursed. So maledictus basically just means you're cursed. Mm-hmm. Uh, sidebar, I was my high school's maledictorian. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, here's something very weird. Again, I'm spoiling a bunch of shit here. Mm-hmm. At the end of the most recent Fantastic Beasts movie, Nagini sides with Dumbledore. Oh, I don't even remember. Yeah, all right. Everyone basically splits into the good team and the bad team, and Nagini is with the good team. Huh. All right, well, not for long. I guess not. Yeah. Now, again, about J.K. Rowling possibly just being a really good researcher or good at hiding stuff, uh, Nagini comes from real-life folklore called the Naga. The Naga are divine or semi-divine deities um, Possibly a race of half-human, half-serpent beings that reside in the netherworld. This is like Indonesian folklore, by the way. And can occasionally take human form. Um, They are principally depicted in three forms. Holy human with snakes on their heads and necks uh, as serpents or as half-human, half-snake beings. A female naga is called a nagi, a nagin, or a nagini. Okay, that makes sense. It makes sense, but also Nagini has been Nagini since book four? Yeah. And there's always been this folklore about half-human snake people since the start? Was this hiding in plain sight? All the, the thing that people complained about, her making Nagini a human, had she been planning that from the beginning because she named that snake 
on a real life belief in half snake, half humans? That's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. It's a lot to chew on. I'm actually oddly fascinated by it now. Hmm. Um, all right. And the last dive that I'm going to give you before I pass it off to Chrissy, this is so unfortunate. <laughs> I have to talk to you all about that nice old lady uh, who gives Harry and his friends yummy treats and pastries on the train to Hogwarts. Yeah, pumpkin pasties. Yes. Let's talk about the trolley lady. In Harry Potter, she's literally just a nice old woman who will feed you pastries. She's just an old lady. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. There is a Broadway play called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. We've both seen it, Kristen yep. and, and myself. It's rad. Um, it's totally rad. It's very fun. Keep the secrets. I'm not going to tell you anything about what happens on stage. I'm going to tell you about the story alone. Um, so spoilers for this, but also spoilers for the whole franchise because this kind of spoiled something for me. Okay. Meaning ruined. Um, the trolley lady is not just a nice old lady because uh, when the Broadway characters Albus Potter and Scorpius Malfoy, the sons of Harry Potter and Draco Malfoy, separately, not together, mm -hmm. um, they try to sneak off the Hogwarts Express. And then this happens. The trolley lady confronts them. Again, this is an elderly lady, for all we know. This is all we... The only suggestion throughout the entirety so far of the franchise is that she's an old lady. She says, Never, never have I let anyone off this train before they reach their destination. Some have tried. Sirius Black and his cronies. Fred and George Weasley. All have failed because this train... It doesn't like people getting off of it. The trolley witch's hands transfigure into very sharp spikes. She smiles. So please retake your seats for the remainder of the journey. God. And she basically attacks them like the T-1000 from Terminator 2. Turns out this entire time, the trolley lady has been a monster? Um, she hints that she uh, has made around six million pumpkin pasties, 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 I think, um, <laughs> and uh, even says that she secretly made them into grenades. She throws one and it explodes. <laughs> I do not remember that she made pumpkin pasties into grenades. She sure did. That's insane. She has stated that uh, people never really seem to notice her. They just buy food from her and that she can't recall the last time somebody asked her name. And it's been so long, even she has forgotten. Oh, my God. She is like several hundred years old and has just been on this train. She's possibly not alive or human then. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know who she is. She just knows that she serves children pastries. I mean, there are a lot of characters or creatures like that in Harry Potter who are just kind of like automatons who just keep doing their thing. You're correct, but I don't care. It's upsetting. Uh, according to the Harry Potter wiki... The fandom thing. Because of the trolley witch's behavior in Cursed Child, there are some who believe um, that she could be a magical incarnation or an illusion of the Hogwarts Express itself rather than an actual living witch. Um, she's about uh, a, 190 years old oh. in Cursed Child. Okay. She's possibly the oldest living witch in Harry Potter 
unable to remember even her own name. Hmm. I mean, the trolley witch. Maybe those pasties are sustaining her. You know how sometimes there'll be stories about like a hundred four year old woman who just drinks diet Dr Pepper every day. Yeah. Maybe there's something. There's something good. Good in those. Why'd she grow claws and try to attack them? Angry. It's meant to be scary. Yeah. Or funny? Uh, I don't know. Or su- I think surprising. Definitely surprising. A- and kind of funny. And kind of funny. You're like, oh, an old lady can fight. You know. How about nonsensical? Yeah, that too. That too will. You know, I really enjoyed <laughs> Cursed Child seeing it in the actual theater. Visually, it's like incredible. It is. They released the book as the script as a book, which mm-hmm. I think we read and maybe reviewed a long time ago. Yes, we did. We hated it. Um, and the story is boy. Bunko. Boy, oh boy, oh boy. Real wild scene, man. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Those are some uh, uh, my sort of half of the horror things from Harry Potter. Okay, great. Waka waka. Waka waka. This week's episode of Guide to the Unknown is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com. And if you go to BetterHelp.com slash pod, they'll give you 10% off your first month. That's right. BetterHelp has fully licensed counselors who can provide you therapy in the comfort of your own home for a fraction of the cost of traditional out-of-home therapy. With BetterHelp, you can have a face-to-face conversation with one of their therapists. You can even chat with them in a little text box, almost like a classic AIM chat room kind of a thing. And actually this week, because a lot of us are indoors right now, I went out to my husband's car to have a phone call with my therapist just because it was awkward to do with Ryan in our small apartment. And she told me that a lot of people have been doing that lately. Yeah, honestly, one of the best things about BetterHelp is really that they meet you at your comfort level. Mm-hmm. I've been talking to my therapist basically from the Guide to the Unknown set. Yeah. So I highly recommend I do too. Going to betterhelp.com slash pod just for our listeners. They're going to give you 10% off your first month as long as you do that slash pod. So go for it. What's holding you back? Now back to Guide to the Unknown. All right, well, I'm going to break it up a little bit. Before I go into my horror things, I would like to give you a Harry Potter BuzzFeed quiz. Oh, my God. Okay. This, this is the surprise that I have for you. So let's go with the quiz. And I don't really understand what the like what our results at the end of this are going to be, because what are we finding out? But the quiz is which of these Harry Potter things has to go. So I'm going to ask you questions where you have to eliminate one of the options. Okay. Wipe it off the face of the earth. And I'm not like I said, we'll see what the results of this are. I don't really understand. But if nothing else, it'll be a thought experiment. I'm fully prepared to do this. Okay, William. Okay. Which Hogwarts house has to go? Gryffindor, Slytherin, Hufflepuff, or Ravenclaw? Get rid of the Hufflepuffs. Okay. Bye-bye. Adios. Very nice. Oh, it just shows you people's results. What other people voted? Um, 40% of people voted Hufflepuff, so you're in good company. Okay. And... I'm out on my duff. Yep, you're done. As I'm a Hufflepuff. Okay. William, which of the main three cast members or book characters has to go? Harry, Hermione, or Ron? Get rid of Ron. Easy. Okay. I think that's going to be the most popular answer. By far, 67% of people would get rid of Ron. Listen, I like Ron. Nice guy. Right. But out of the three? Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Okay. Which mode of transportation has to go? Going by port key, apparition, or flu powder? Flu powder. Get it out of here. Okay. Yep. 53% of people agree with you. Flu powder. All right. So far, I'm pretty much like sided with the populace. Yes. Okay. Which Death Eater has to go? Bellatrix, 
Lucius or Peter Pettigrew? Peter Pettigrew. What are you talking about? Duh. I know. 76% Peter Pettigrew. Yeah. What are these options? Come up with better options. Yeah. Um, which magical creature has to go? Thestrals, hippogriffs, or dragons? Dragons. Okay. Easy. 51% say Thestral. You're in the middle. Good. I'm glad to be finally against the average schmo. Right. Against the grain. Thestrals are dope, yo. Yeah, they totally are. And I'm going to go into them in just a moment. That's my first up. Hell yeah. Okay. So which Triwizard competitor has to go? Cedric Diggory, Victor Crumb, or Flora Delacour? Victor Crumb. Yep. I never really had much use for him. 49% agree. Wow. Okay. Which unforgivable curse has to go? Avada Kedavra, Crucio, or Imperio? Crucio is torture. Mm-hmm. Avada Kedavra is killing. Imperio is mind control? Yes. I'll get rid of mind control. Okay. Let's see. 37 per- You know what? This one's split pretty evenly. You are with the majority. 30%, 37% agree Imperio, but it is very close. It's still in the 30% for Avada Kedavra and Crucio. If I were a magician in real life, like going to kids' birthday parties, my name would be Imperio. It's a good name. Okay, which Marauder from the Marauder's map has to go? Sirius Black, James Potter, or Remus Lupin? Ooh, I think they all go. I know, that's tricky. Right? That Finally, we have one that's, uh, 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 I'm going to say hard, but put that in asterisk because we're doing a Harry Potter quiz. Right. Um, let's say I'll get rid of, I really like Remus Lupin. Let's get rid of old James Potter. Right. I don't think we're as close to him anyway because yeah. we haven't spent time with him in the books. Exactly. He's the easiest to, to say bye-bye to. Um, 66% of people agree that James Potter should go. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Which Deathly Hallow has to go? The stone, the cloak, or the wand? Stone brings back the dead. The cloak makes you invisible. The wand is unbeatable. Right. Um, I'm going to say the wand. Okay. Not so concerned with being beaten. No one could beat me anyway, so... Good luck. Okay, 68% of people will get rid of the stone. You are in the middle once again with the wand. Wow, okay. All right. Which Dursley has to go? Petunia, Dudley, Vernon. 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 Adioso. Bye-bye, Vernon. Most people think Vernon as well, 61%. Which version of Voldemort has to go? Head parasite. Baby. Disgusting baby. Disgusting baby. Easy. 74% of people agree. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Too gross. Which of the books would have to go? Now, I would say don't worry about continuity or creating more of a gap. Which is your least favorite book? Of all of them? Yeah, of all of them. It's not just three options anymore? No, it's all of the Harry Potter books. Chamber of Secrets. Get it out of here. Okay. Let's see. 25% of people say Chamber of Secrets. That is the most picked one. Yeah. And then same question, but about the movies. Do you feel any differently about the Chamber of Secrets movie, or is there a movie that you prefer less than that? Get rid of the Sorcerer's Stone. Get rid of movie one. I agree with you. Okay. It's Chamber of Secrets, again, is the most popular answer for that. Sorcerer's Stone is, like, in the middle, basically. Yeah. Okay. A lot of people don't like Order of the Phoenix. That's second least popular. I really like Order of the Phoenix. You know, people love Prisoner of Azkaban, the movie. Yes. But I got to tell you, I almost feel that that movie, while it's good, Mm -hmm. is almost like um, a Last Jedi type. Very weird. I agree. It's like totally different. Yes. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. So now I'm going to go into some of the horror things. So first we're going to talk about Thestrals, which we referenced doing that quiz. 
So the deal with Thestrals, they first showed up in the Order of the Phoenix, and they are these black skeletal horses that have like reptilian faces and kind of bat wings that only people who have died can see. To everybody else who hasn't experienced and understood death, which I'll get into in a second, they're invisible. They don't even know that they're there. So they're considered dangerous creatures by the Ministry of Magic, but it's pretty much totally unfair. It's really just because they look scary in appearance and their whole deal is kind of macabre because they're so death linked. So here's the thing. I read this on the Harry Potter website and it's one of those like extra written by J.K. Rowling deals where she elaborates a little bit more on something herself. So she says that... Uh, and this is a direct quote, it is unsurprising that it took a long time for their significance to be properly understood because the precise moment when such knowledge dawns, meaning the knowledge of death, varies greatly from person to person. Harry Potter was unable to see Thestrals for years after his mother was killed in front of him because he was barely out of babyhood when the murder happened and he had been unable to comprehend his own loss. Even after the death of Cedric Diggory, weeks elapsed before the full impact of death's, of death's finality was borne upon him. Only at this point did the Thestrals that pull the carriages from Hogsmeade Station to Hogwarts Castle become visible to him. On the other hand, Luna Lovegood, who lost her own mother when she was young, saw Thestrals very soon afterwards because she's intuitive, spiritual, and unafraid of the afterlife. So that's something that I either didn't realize or just straight up isn't in the books. Right. That it's not just purely seeing death. It's having an understanding of death that allows you to see Thestrals. And I thought that was really interesting. I've always really loved the the concept of Thestrals. I think part of mm -hmm. it is that um, I was always a very sort of like moody, depressive teenager. Yeah. And so I related to this as something that's like uh, – uh, I don't know, a really sort of like challenging thing about life and death stakes. Um, and I know that a lot of people treat it like a plot hole that Harry is not able to see the Thestrals until after seeing uh, mm -hmm. uh, Cedric, Cedric die, even though he was present when his parents were killed. Right. But like I, I, it always made perfect sense to me that like it's about comprehension of death or death sinking in mm -hmm. or something like that. That always felt sort of right to me and understandable. Um, I've always thought that concept is really interesting. I never even thought about the plot hole. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's something uh, – the idea of being close to death making you different from other people is very mm -hmm. interesting to me. Yeah. I, I also love it for all the same reasons. Um, so Thestrals, basically, they get a bad rap, but they're very sweet, gentle, and patient, and they kind of have an understanding of the initial fright that people will feel when they see them, and they sort of allow for that. They don't, like, it's not like a horse where they get spooked by you kind of having, like, a crazy energy. They, like, know you're going to have a crazy energy when you see them at first, mm. and they just kind of wait for you to mellow out a little bit. And they are loyal and helpful to those who understand and trust them, and they're basically just kind of symbolic of the journey from one dimension to another. And really awesome, really one of my favorite things from Harry Potter, which is why I decided to start off with them. Same. Love it. Now, let's go to something spooky in another way. Thestrals are kind of spooky and sweet. This is just kind of straight up horror stuff you could lift this from harry potter into anything else and it would be just as unnerving and fit right into any horror movie it's the concept of the inferi mm, that's right so the singular version is inferious and i'll be referring to them as such um inferi or inferior 
I don't know how we refer to them. It depends on what I'm saying. They are corpses that have been reanimated by a dark wizard's curse. And they're used to do that wizard's bidding. Like, and this is a quote from the book that I think is awesome, a grisly puppet. They're considered expendable servants. So the sorcerer who has enchanted them can use them however they want without any regard for them whatsoever, because they're kind of just like a hollow shell and like a warrior that you can send into battle without any sort of concern for it. So when wizards curse the Inferi and make them kind of come back to life, so to speak, you can essentially, in so many words, program them to do certain things or respond in certain ways. So you can cast a curse onto an Inferius that will... Uh, make them automatically go into killing mode if they're disturbed, for example. So this programming is the only thing that they have going on upstairs. They can't strategize. They can't improvise. They're not going to be on the defensive in any way that you didn't specifically cast a spell on them to be. They have no regard for their own safety. So that can be very useful. It'll do anything once it's programmed and just do only that thing and go full steam ahead. That's really fascinating because in so many ways you can look at the Inferi and just go like, all right, they're Harry Potter wizards, uh, uh, Harry Potter zombies. Right. And that's, I guess, kind of true, except for what you're saying about like programming them. Mm-hmm. I think that that is really odd and interesting. Like yeah. the the primary way that we see them in the books is that they're all underwater. And I guess Lord Voldemort has told them like, oh, if somebody touches the water, uh, kill them. Yes. And so they all just like pile to try to get you. Right. But like they're all just sitting there unactivated until something activates them and now they're going to go, 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 go. Right. Go. They're going to go into their default setting and you can make it, I guess, whatever you want it to be. So that's what he decided to do. You could do different things. Um, so the magic placed on an inferior makes them essentially immortal, except that they can be destroyed by fire. So that's why Dumbledore goes on top of that rock when they come out of the water and starts swirling fire. And it's not just because fire is generally harmful. It's specifically the only thing that is going to kill the inferi. Cool. Um, so most dark wizards program their inferi to avoid fire because of that. And so I was thinking that kind of explains why they were in the lake guarding a horcrux in the Half-Blood Prince. Oh, yeah, good point. You know, that's as far away from fire as you're going to get as if they're living in a lake. So on the Wizarding World website, again, there's just writing straight up from J.K. Rowling about the concept. And she acknowledges their similarity to zombies, but she said that she decided to create Inferia as a distinct thing for a few reasons. One, and again, it goes to her being into folklore in general, they are not part, or excuse me, zombies, no, no, no. Let me see. Okay, no, I'm sorry. And fairy are not part of British folklore. So why would they be in Britain and Harry Potter? It wouldn't really make sense. They're a part of African and Haitian folklore. Hmm. And part of that folklore is that sorcerers could use their souls. And that part of the story would conflict with the Horcrux story that she created around Voldemort. So she didn't want them to be too close to a concept that's basically in fairy in real life or you know it's a real life part of folklore because the real life parts of it would conflict with these fictional things that she's created in the book so that's one part of it the other part um is that she had we have such a strong association 
with zombies right. that she felt like you would just think of them as the zombies we think of. She talked about the zombies in Thriller. There's obviously Night of the Living Dead. So she wanted in Fair Eye to be a distinct thing separate from zombies so she could create all of her own rules around them. It's interesting too. The way too, I this now, I'm confused whether it's that there's actually something called Inferi in African and Haitian folklore or zombies. That's what I was going to ask. It must be zombies. Yeah. I will say that like the original idea of the zombie was not that they were um, necessarily the the shuffling dead mm-hmm. that we think of them as today. They were sort of like voodoo cursed yeah. people. Like a, a zombie is sort of like a mind controlled kind of a thing historically. Right. It wasn't until the 60s when John Romero made Night of the Living Dead that he turned zombies into literally like your neighbor who came back to back from the grave essentially right so the concept of the inferi as sort of being programmed feels like it harkens back to the original voodoo-ish idea of zombies yeah i just saw where i wrote it It is that zombies specifically have this mythology in africa and haiti so she also said she also pointed out that the name is a play on the latin word inferis which means below and so that kind of adds connotations of them being lesser than human they're like below human just in a totally different hmm category and um also that in fairy means the underworld oh interesting yeah all right so let's move on to dementors hell yeah one of the coolest things in harry potter so these are creatures that guard azkaban prison so essentially in a way they're like scary supernatural prison guards who can go out into the world to bring back escaped prisoners by any means necessary at least that's what they're supposed to do but if they're influenced by somebody else then they can go wreak all sorts of havoc just with their innate abilities so this is a quote from the book Um, they first show up in prisoner of azkaban uh lupin says dementors are among the foulest creatures that walk this earth they infest the darkest filthiest places They glory in decay and despair. They drain peace, hope, and happiness out of the air around them. Even muggles feel their presence, though they can't see them. Get too near a Dementor and every good feeling, every happy memory will be sucked out of you. If it can, the Dementor will feed on you long enough to reduce you to something like itself, soulless and evil. You'll be left with nothing but the worst experiences of your life. So when they're around, everything gets literally cold. You physically feel that. And your most awful memories come flooding back to you because that's what the Dementors feed on. So what they look on look like, they look awful. They're great creatures wearing hooded robes. And here are some quotes from the book on what they are like physically. Uh, when they first see them, Harry says there was a hand protruding from the cloak and it was glistening, grayish, slimy looking and scabbed like something dead that had decayed in water. That paints a perfect picture. Yeah, I really love that. It's so disgusting. The the water aspect of that, mm-hmm. something kind of like bloated and probably maybe kind of like wet flaking off. Yeah. Bleh. Um, where there should have been eyes, there was only thin, gray, scabbed, uh, scabbed skin stretched blankly over empty sockets. But there was a mouth, a gaping, shapeless hole, sucking the air with the sound of a death rattle. Oh my God. Sucking, sucking the air? Is that what yeah. said? Yes. Oh my yes. God. You're sucking air. We're not going to run in, want to run into these things. No. Dementors have got to be one of the like coolest things in all of Harry Potter, right? They're basically like... A bunch of grim reapers without the scythe. Yes. Yeah. 
Yes, they're completely awesome. And so we get our intro to them when they're on the loose in Prisoner of Azkaban. And they wander around here and there in later books, too, basically ready to steal the souls of anybody who escapes their path, not just prisoners who they're supposed to be after. And they do this by administering what's called the Dementor's Kiss, mm. which ain't the kind of thing you lay on your sweetie in the back of a parked car. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh boy. How that happens cool line. is that... <laughs> Thank you. Is that the Dementor locks its jaw on the mouth of its victim and sucks out its soul. Um, the the person who gets the kiss doesn't die, but they're basically just an empty shell. So kind of like in Fairi. Yeah, kind of. You're hollowed out. Right, not totally dissimilar. Like it's it's a living body that's hollowed out, whereas the Inferi are a dead body that's right. just kind of animated. So there's a slight distinction, but pretty similar. Okay, so now let's talk about the Boggart. Mm. So a Boggart is a shapeshifter that takes the form of whatever is scariest to the person who is in front of it in the moment. No one knows what they look like outside of that because they always change. The second you get in front of one, it's going to change into what's scariest for you. So you can't know what it looks like if you're not Sta- you know, if you're not there. It's kind of like a tree falls in the woods scenario, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that Boggarts lived exclusively in small spaces in the book and that they were like trapped by somebody or something like that. But it's not so. They can also roam in forests and can be found lurking around corners. So I wonder if the small space is not so much the issue as an element of surprise. Yeah, that's interesting. Because... Because people aren't just like keeping Boggarts at home for no reason. Like when Lupin shows them to Harry Potter in the book, it's for educational purposes. So Boggarts in the wild, are they, you encounter one because it's like scaring you. Maybe it's in your closet because it's it's laying in wait. Oh, that's interesting. You know, it's not like you're keeping it in there as a pet. I like that. I do think it's weird though to point out that like they like to roam around the forest or around corners as if around corners is like. Is a location. A place to be. Yeah. I know that's what it said on the Wizarding World website, so I just put it in there. But I thought the same thing. I, I love was like, this maybe corner. The, maybe the point. This yeah. corner is for me. This is my habitat. I'm just gonna hunker down. Yeah. So never, but not everyone is at the same level of boggart risk. Like they can scare all of us, but people who are generally fraidy cats are more susceptible to being scared by them. So I guess if you're somebody who just doesn't startle easily, you could encounter a boggart, and because you don't startle easily, you're just like, oh, that's a scary thing, whatever. Right. But if you're somebody yeah. who's scared, the thing that's going to be presented to you is scarier, so you're going to like freak the hell out. So I just thought it was interesting. There's like a sliding scale of boggart effectiveness. Yeah. Um, muggles can encounter them too, but they won't know what it is. They're just going to assume that it was their imagination playing tricks on them. Oh, I like that a lot. I do too. Like any time that you are kind of freaked out by something and you thought you saw something and you're just like, oh, it must've been nothing. It was a boggart. Like when I'm taking out the garbage at night and I imagine mm-hmm. somebody watching me from down driveways. Boggart. Exactly. Boggart. So in order to neutralize a boggart, and they show this in the third movie, you need to face it and turn it into something funny using the spell ridiculous. So it would pop out, be scaring the hell out of you. And if you find um, a spider wearing roller skates hilarious and it's the form of a spider in front of you, you would say ridiculous. Imagine it wearing roller skates. The spider will start wearing roller skates and it kind of falls over and isn't as scary and threatening anymore. I have to say, as an adult now, the concept of ridiculous as a spell mm-hmm. that makes Boggarts look silly is itself ridiculous. It is ridiculous, but 
the idea behind it, I understand. Like things aren't as scary if you defang them and see them as something silly, but it is the literal physical thing of it is very silly. Like to be terrified of Professor Snape. Mm -hmm. So then you put your grandma's clothes on him and that eliminates the boggart. I mean, a lot of things in Harry Potter are like super silly like that. So I know, I know, but like it's in keeping. It also makes me wonder if you pointed your wand at somebody and said, ridiculous, would it do it to them? (laughs) You know, like, is that a spell? Maybe it's boggart specific. Is it a boggart spell or a spell? I feel like it's a boggart spell. Okay. I feel like we would see ridiculous more. You know, there's a moment in Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix. I want to say where Molly Weasley Ron's mom mm-hmm. tries to tackle a boggart on her own. Yeah. And it's only taking the form of her loved ones dead on the floor. Oh my God. That's right. That's right. They they come they come across her crying and it's because of that. Yeah. She's crying and she keeps going ridiculous and waving her wand and it turns from Ron into a dead version of her husband. She goes ridiculous and it turns into a dead version of her daughter. Ridiculous. It turns into a dead version of Fred. Like it just keeps like it's not working for her because she doesn't really believe it. Um, yeah, she doesn't have the wherewithal in the moment. And so it's just different versions of her family member dead popping up on the floor, which is really grim and interesting. Yes. Yes. Um, so this is a paragraph just from the Wizarding World site because I thought it was kind of funny. Um, going into famous boggarts throughout time. So famous boggarts include the old boggle of Canterbury, believed by local muggles to be a mad cannibalistic hermit that lived in a cave, but in reality, a particularly small boggart that had learned how to make the most of echoes, which I like the idea of a boggart's in a cave and just like makes crazy sounds. Yeah. And then the locals assume that it's a cannibal. Um, the bludgeoning boggart of old London town, a boggart that had taken on the form of a murderous thug that prowls the back streets of 19th century London, but, but which could be reduced to a hamster with one simply incan- incantation. Okay. S- silly. Sure. <laughs> and the screaming bogey of Strathuli, a Scottish boggart, uh, boggart that had fed on the fears of local muggles to the point that it had, it had become an elephantine black shadow with glowing white eyes, but which Lyle Lupin of the Ministry of Magic eventually trapped in a matchbox. Wow. So I'm assuming a relative of Professor Lupin. Yeah. Old Lyle Lupin probably taught ridiculous to Remus Lupin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Pretty fun. I like that. I wonder, Boggart also, I think, plays off of Boogeyman, right? Yes. A boggart is a boogeyman? I think so. Especially they said that, you know, there's the screaming bogey of Strathley. Yeah, exactly. Bogey, boogeyman. Yeah, for sure. So, William, let's round things out by talking about our five scariest moments from Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. Why don't you go first? I'll go first? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, I've got, um, I'm going to start with my first one here. Um, let's talk about that dais. Okay. Um, in the, the, the ministry of magic. All right. And let's quick fire him. The dais is scary in the order of the Phoenix. It is this stone archway. Uh, I found online a suggestion that it may have always been there. There's a department that studies all of this, like odd dark magic and everything. And the culmination of this is this room where a, a stone archway seems to bridge the worlds of the living and the dead. Uh, the wiki suggests that that dais was not found out in the world and brought into the de- the depart the yeah department of mysteries. It was always there, and the Department of Mysteries and the Ministry of Magic itself were built around it. That's Perhaps awesome. this thing was always here. We were trying to study what the hell is this thing that bridges the world of the living and the dead, and we've just com- continued to expand until our government headquarters are centered around this thing. Uh, anyway. That's awesome. In the books, 
Uh, someone notably uh, gets pushed through it. Harry Potter can hear whispers through it, and he's strangely drawn to it, much like the Thestrals. Uh, maybe not literally scary, but in a weird way, chilling and, and hair-raising. Yes. There, do you want to go back and forth? You go for one. Okay. Um, I thought that in Half-Blood Prince, I believe it... No, no, no. It would be in... Um, what the hell's the last book called? Deathly Hallows. Deathly Hallows. No. Yes. Yes. Okay. When they are visiting Batilda Bagshot in her home, and like we said, spoilers, and her body peels away mm-hmm. to show you that it's been Nagini inside there speaking parcel tongue to Harry. That is some cool horror stuff. The whole moment is played with this sort of like trippy, we don't know if it's real or a hallucination. Right. This, by the way, is one of the things on my list as well. Batilda Bagshot turning out to be a snake. Absolutely love it. So Mm -hmm. weird. Little bits of body horror in there. Yes. Um, Even in the movie, it's almost as if her dead rotting body is around this snake or the snake is crawling through the dead body. It's really wild. Love that. And the movie shoots it very much like a horror scene. Like the score changes. You see um, like splashes of blood on the wall. Um, Like the perspective. You smash through wall and all of a sudden it's bright. It's like this very jarring, crazy scene. Yeah. I love that moment so much. Absolutely on my list as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Also on my list from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I referenced it before. The moment where um, Katie Bell touches that necklace. I love... The depiction of it in the movie where she floats up off the ground. We have this bizarre shot. It's snowing. It's daytime. By all accounts, this should be like beautiful and comfortable. The kids are laughing and having fun. They've been drinking butter beer and Harry Potter fun stuff has been happening. But then all of a sudden, she's lifted off the ground. Her mouth is just insanely open. And you hear the sound of a scream. But it's almost distant sounding somehow. Mm -hmm. Really freaky. Really cool. Really out of nowhere. Love that. Yeah, totally. I know that part is controversial because it's like very weird and again feels like tonally strange and out of left field my friend rosie who's like a harry potter super fan hates that part but why i think it's sweet as hell she just thinks it's if i remember correctly she just thinks it's kind of like weird and not right it is but it's also like it that was a murder attempt that was an attempted murder that just happened i know i know but you know different strokes totally Okay, my next moment from Harry Potter that's horror and cool is quite simple in the very first book and movie when Professor Quirrell unwraps his turban to show that Voldemort's head is growing out of the back of his head. What the hell? I know, that is really insane. So Voldemort is a parasite whose face is growing out of the back of his head. That is very inventive and gross and weird. Yes, it's like an old school horror movie. And then Harry Potter touches him and he crumbles apart like a yes. dead body man. I don't know, like a mummy. Right, right. Um, my next moment is I'm going to pick from Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. That is book and movie two. Mm-hmm. Um, they go into the Chamber of Secrets itself, which is a mythical place most people don't even believe actually exists. And down there is this towering sculpture of a guy named Salazar Slytherin, who's one of the founders of the school. And his stone face, the mouth opens, and a snake called the Basilisk slimes out yeah and it's just like such a cool weird like mount rushmore coming to life for a second kind of thing and old magic in a way where you can't really comprehend so fun and so literally big it's like what is happening how is this it's honestly yeah it's the scope of it that really does it for me absolutely all right my next one is again from the first book i think that there are some things just imprinted themselves in my mind um 
it's simple. It's not the scariest thing in the world, but it is. It seems so perverse in kind of a strange way. Um, Voldemort in the forest drinking unicorn blood. Yeah. That is so weird. More in the book than in the movie. In the movie, it's shot in the weirdest way. Like the musical cue and everything. It looks like it's from like a play. Yes, it does. All of a sudden, because it looks like there are strings like lifting the body of Voldemort as he flies away. It doesn't look movie quality. It's really, really weird. It's pretty insane looking. We had a laser disc of Into the Woods growing up, which was literally like filming the Broadway play. It looks like that to me. It looks... Yes. Yeah. In the movie, it's so weird. But I remember reading the book and being like, oh, what? This is crazy. It is cool. So I thought it was worth mentioning. Hell yeah. Um, I is are you is your list done? I've lost count. I have two more. You have two more. I have two more. So Harry okay. Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. There is a location called the Shrieking Shack, mm-hmm. which is uh, believed to be a haunted house where you can hear like ghosts wailing and everything. Um, it eventually turns out that there is a secret passage from Hogwarts to the Shrieking Shrack Shack, and what was thought to be werewolves was actually Remus Lupin turning into a werewolf like torturing himself in there, scratching himself, biting himself, uh, ripping apart the house itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dumbledore himself encouraged the rumors of it being a violent ghost to keep people away. Yeah. Just like a fun way to work a haunted house into Harry Potter and have a twist on a haunted house. Very cool. Yeah, totally. It's awesome. Um, My next one is the ritual in the graveyard when Voldemort comes back to life. That was another moment where reading it, I was like, what is happening? happening oh my god harry thinks he won the triwizard tournament with cedric diggory they touch the cup at the same time and all of a sudden they're in a graveyard cedric's immediately killed they do a crazy ritual on harry where he's like wrapped up in like an angel stone statue that is horror movie stuff horror novel stuff all the way and it's so awesome it's one of my favorite things from all of the books and movies. They did such a good job too, because up until this point, you think of Harry Potter as being like, oh, you you flick your wand and something can float. Mm-hmm. And it's all very fun and light. And in that moment, it's like Wormtail cutting Harry to get his blood, stealing bones from the ground. It's very like witchy in a way that you like think of witches as threatening. Yes, very jarring. Um, and my last one comes from the final book, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. It's the story of the three brothers, a fairy tale within the world of Harry Potter. So it's a fictional story inside a fictional story, but it explains three magical artifacts that become the key to defeating Voldemort. And the presentation of it is not only that it's a fairy tale, it's that it might be true. And it feels very sort of like um, people telling stories of the Blair Witch or something like that. But, oh my God, is there actually some truth to them? And it's of these three brothers, how they encountered death, how they tried to best death, but ultimately how death eventually took all of them. And I, I just, it's creepy in that way that it's, I guess maybe, maybe it's not creepy in a very classic sense, but it's that kind of story that really makes me lean in with horror. Mm-hmm. It's just a very clever, interesting story that makes you, uh, it begs a lot of questioning. It makes you participate right. as a reader and as a viewer. And the way that they shoot it in the movie, they go to a weird animated segment, which is very unlike the films but really effective and and creative and fun. Yeah, I love it. I also love the idea that you're finding out that this story that you, well, they're finding out this story that they were told since they were kids, 
as a fairy tale has truth to it. Mm. Like how crazy and exciting is that? Oh, it's so great. It's so great Ugh. and so much fun. Okay, my last one is from the movie specifically. This happens in the book, but it doesn't really have the same. The visual impact of this is like definitely a thing for me. The Battle of Hogwarts in The Deathly Hallows Part 2, mm. where our three heroes are running around and you're getting shots of them running between giant legs and dodging tarantulas and seeing their teachers and families and friends battling death eaters and seeing a lot of people dying with this like really, really like good emotional music. You're seeing a lot of tragedy happening, but they just have to keep running. Like they don't even have the time to process it right now, even though they're seeing a werewolf eating Ron's ex-girlfriend. And it's like so horrific and so stirring and so good. That might actually be my favorite moment of anything of the whole franchise. I love that moment. It's one of the things that really makes you realize the scope and the, um, the, the, I don't know, the, the insanity of the, the fact that these are kids. Yeah, the stakes. This is going down. It's incredible. That that one yeah. moment is probably the best moment of all of Harry Potter for me. I love yeah, that. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, so now we are done. Okay, all right. Go for it. So now we've come to the end of Guide to the Unknown, our little Harry Potter horror expose. Uh, thank you all so much for hanging out with us. We hope you had a good time. Um, doing this research, I haven't read or seen Harry Potter in years at this point. And even looking at a lot of this stuff made me want to rewatch and reread. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think I realized how rad some of this stuff is. I just haven't really thought of it. It hasn't occupied my headspace for a while. But some of these ideas really are clever and odd and creepy. They really are. I've been thinking about rereading them. Um, they're all on Kindle Unlimited. And I think I was telling you this, like, just personally or whatever. I was thinking about getting that just so I could read through all the books again because they are so good and they're nice like cozy reads you can kind of get really invested in this world and there's a lot to dig into so while we're all kind of home and have potentially a little bit more time depending on your deal um, than usual it might be a cool franchise to get into and if you haven't read them before and you're a horror fan you might find more in there that you're into than you would expect yeah I I couldn't agree more Um, it's so much fun and just like so alive and weird mm-hmm. and different. And still, there's nothing anything quite like it as far as I know. Um, yeah. Nothing has really taken the place of Harry Potter. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, there you go, everybody. I think that's a wrap for now. Yeah. Uh, if you it. are craving more Guide to the Unknown, make sure you're following at GTTUPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to keep up to date with all of our projects as we post them. You can go to Patreon dot com slash gttu pod and if you back us on our netherworld warrior level that is starting at four dollars though you can always edit that for into whatever you'd like you'll get access to a ton of bonus material including maybe something this weekend um Mm -hmm. we've got uh, an entire bonus podcast that happens up there that you can't hear anywhere other than patreon Definitely check that out if you're into Guide to the Unknown, but you need more. Um, you can also go to tpublic.com slash user slash pod to get your hands on some Guide to the Unknown merchandise. We got mugs. We got shirts. We've got uh, pins. We've got a bunch of stuff up there. Go check it out um, and uh, uh, bring some Guide to the Unknown stuff home. Uh, rest your weary head on a Guide to the Unknown pillow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
you can join our Facebook group to talk back with us and other listeners and viewers. That's at facebook.com slash groups slash GTTU pod. Request to join and we'll consider it. Okay. We'll think about it. <laughs> we'll think about it. Literally, no, I have we're hit, let every single person. In. I've hit accept as soon as I've, I've been like on my phone, gotten the notification that someone wants to join, then just hit join. <laughs> like, like yeah. accept them as fast as possible. Um, yeah. We'd love it if you would consider leaving a review for Guide to the Unknown on Apple Podcasts or spreading the word however you can. Tell your friends, write some tweets, write some blog posts, whatever you got. We'll take it. We love to read what you all have to say about the show. Um, and yeah, if you want to talk to Kristen or myself online, we're also up there individually. That's right. I'm at Chillin' Kristen on Instagram and Twitter. And I am the Myth Traveler. So thank you all so much once again for hanging out with us. We will be back next week for more twisted terrors and haunted horrors. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld, go we. That's it, guys. Have a wonderful night. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. Have a good night, everybody. It's been really, really fun. Yeah. Hope you're all well. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely see you again soon. Yeah. Hey, everybody. It's me, Will. Editor Will combing through the show, making sure it sounds okay. And I spotted something that drove me insane. Uh, I have to fix it. It must be clarified. It must be rectified. Uh, It must be made right. Uh, In this show, I referred to the creator of Night of the Living Dead as John Romero. I was wrong. I apologize. I can't believe I did that. I'm going to be kicking myself all weekend. His name is George Romero. All right. Have a good night.